Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right. Um, we have more, I, we made some more coffee. If you guys feel free to get uh, a little bit more coffee. And I added more chocolate sprinkled donuts because they were all gone. And so, and the, like, the people who like sprinkled donuts, they look at like, a plain donut, and they have a lot of judgment on plain donuts. So I just say the quiet stuff out loud. And we have gluten-free donuts as well. Donut holes, my bad. I didn't want to th- ruin your day by, like, where's the donuts? Um, I never introduced myself. My name's Chris Sodder. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the lead pastor uh, at Neighborhood. So we are continuing our series in Romans, and last week we went through like our introduction, where we went through like the two big themes, um, and it was pretty good. I won't, you know, have no problem slapping my own back. Um, but before we get into today, uh, we are reading out of Romans one chapter or chapter one verses eighteen through thirty-two, and um, I'm going to give you a trigger warning uh, because this is the number one passage um, that has brought literal violence on queer people's experience. Um, Violence to their body, violence to their mental health, spiritual, um, it's been um, toxic. And for a lot of us, right, we can um, read Romans 1, 18 through 32, and when we learn that, hey, maybe there's a better way of thinking about this verse, um, we can just like make an intellectual shift. Doesn't cost us anything. We're like, hey, hey, now that's actually pretty cool. I like that. Uh, but for a demographic of people, um, of queer people, um, it has cost them something for us to not make that shift, right? And so I just want to um, uh, say that out loud. And your pain is um, valid, right? Your trauma is valid. Um, and you are not just welcomed here. You're not tolerated here. We wildly celebrate you here. and We believe you get to be your fullest, fullest selves, and so there could be several triggers. Like we're going to be reading it um, verbatim. Uh, and if you've never read this passage before, um, without it having the context of what's going on, it seems totally, totally out of place. Um, and so I'm also going to be bringing up some things from when I was like 15-year-old evangelical Chris at youth group and the things that I was taught, um, <laughs> things I was taught, um, are now funny, but they might not be funny to everyone, depending on where you're at. And so if there's something that happens, a word, uh, a statement that feels like it's triggering for you, you there's going to be no side eyes. Anyone who has to like pull out their phone and start going through Instagram, if you need to go get more coffee, if you need to leave, if you need to turn off uh, the stream on Facebook, um, we believe kindness, um, clarity is kindness. So getting clear about what you need and what you might need to avoid Um, is absolutely um, welcome here. And so, with that being said, uh, growing up, uh, it's so funny, my parents are here, and so anytime I say growing up, I imagine what they are like, oh no, what is he going to tell now, all right? Um, But growing up, uh, I don't remember having any negative conversation. Oh, stop, now I'm going to put you on hold. So, um, I haven't said this for a while, but... um, when I'm in, in seminary, did you guys hear I was in seminary? No big deal. Uh, uh, my, our professors uh, start off each semester talking, not each semester, but um, uh, classes that pertain to, like I took a queer and trans theology class. Um, and they explained of why they use the word uh, queer. 
that word, like in the 60s and 70s, has a lot of negative connotation, and it was a derogatory term. Um, now, my professors have chosen to use this word because it's a, a very um, all-encompassing uh, word to capture so many different identities, expressions, and embodiments. So when we say LGBTQIA+, the plus is in there because it doesn't hit pansexual, doesn't hit polyamory. So like there's, there's like so many different ways and all of them belong. And so using the word um, queer doesn't intentionally leave a, a group or people or their experience out. So that's why I use the word that I use. So growing up, I don't remember having any negative conversations about um, queer people, like zero. The only thing I remember is when Will and Grace, remember that show that came on, right? I, I remember, like, I don't know if I was talking to my parents or my brother or my friends, but saying, like, well, we're, are, are, can we watch this? Are we allowed to watch this? You know, it was like, and it was just wasn't bad. It was just like, I don't know. Like, a lot of people are making a big deal about this. But you know where I heard a lot? Where I heard a lot of toxic things about queer people happened to be my youth group in my church, right? So going from, like, not talking about it a lot at all, and then in youth group, and I went to a fundamental evangelical um, church, uh, I actually thought, I'm like, are they, like, are queer people, like, organizing an army, all right? Like, because the level of conversations you're having about <laughs> queer people, it like, doesn't make sense to me, because uh, I didn't know any queer people at the time. I, they existed, I know that now, but I didn't have any relationship, so I'm like, Oh, I guess this is a big deal. And things that I was taught. Uh, my friend Steve, uh, we called him like the professional Christian because uh, he actually like read his Bible, right? And he listened to other like mega church pastors and he came up to me, man. Uh, <laughs> and he goes, Chris, I got good news. I'm like, all right, Steve, what's the good news? He's like, I know why men decide to be gay. And I'm like, well, this is good information since. We talk a lot about it at church. Now I'm actually curious. And he goes, because it's demons, right? Demons. Like they, they, they get, into these, get into these guys. And, uh, and he goes on a very homophobic, uh, uh, misogynistic rant of saying, why would any man who's like a macho man ever want to be more effeminate? That's essentially what he said in using different um, slang. He goes, because of the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they dress, no man would ever really want to do that. So the only logical explanation is demons. And my first reaction was, demons can get inside us? Are we like meat puppets for the devil? I, I never heard that. I thought demons just floated around saying, don't want to be the devils, right? And so um, that really concerned me. But now I'm like, oh, okay, I guess Steve's a professional. And the next thing I heard was, um, it's not... Adam and Eve, it's Adam and Steve, right? And that was like the, our youth groups, our youth pastors, like big way of like how do you respond to people, right? You say, well, actually, the Bible says Adam and Eve. And now I follow a bunch of ex-evangelicals on Twitter, and uh, every time it hits Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, they say it's Christmas Eve, not Christmas Steve, and then I laugh a lot, way too much at that. And then lastly... This was like the most profound one for 15-year-old Chris, and it was um, love, the, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? And 15-year-old Chris felt like this was the most profound way because I actually get to, like, share with them I love them. So, you know, like going up to um, Anna and say, Anna, you know what? I really love you, you sinner. <laughs> I love you, you sinner. 
but man, do I hate everything you do, all right? I just hate it, right? And it feels great saying it because it feels like you have an answer, but it is the most toxic thing you could say to someone. Like, I love you, sinner, but the very core of who you are, I happen to despise everything about you. I tell you all these three things uh, because all that was rooted out of this verse, out of Romans. And I'm sitting in a car with my friend Anna Fink, and she was in a, um, in a ballet um, company in Duluth. And she told me, hey, my friend, Mike, he just came out of the closet. Um, isn't that really good news? And I don't remember everything that was said. I remember the vibe. And I think I rolled my eyes, and I probably said some, oh, no. And I said, do you know that's demons? <laughs> and I said, do you know that... Uh, uh, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And do you know that I really love Mike, but I hate his sin? And she looked at me, as she should, and um, she was very frustrated, obviously, and she goes, Chris, why does God, according to you, hate Mike? What is it that he's doing with his boyfriend that's any different than what you and Nikki do? We were dating at the time. And it was the very first time where I was thinking about this verse, and then I actually used, like, critical thinking, right? And actually, it was, like, the first time a red flag went up and said, oh, what if what was handed to me, I didn't have the language then, but what was handed to me, what if there's a better way of telling that story? Because I really couldn't think of something that Mike and his partner were doing that would be so evil. So, we're going to read it. But before we read it... uh, there's a way of thinking. It's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the form of how you process information, how you interpret something. Every single thing you do is an interpretation. When you listen to Nikki sing, you are interpreting what you're feeling, what the words are. When you uh, uh, watch me dance, you're interpreting he is clearly the best dancer that's ever existed, right? When you, hear, when you read the Bible and you hear me give a message, everything is an interpretation. And everything in that interpretation is embodied you cannot have an experience outside of yourself, right? And I say that because a lot of people, when they go to read the Bible, especially verses like this, they say, I'm just going to turn my brain off. I'm going to have a clean slate. I have no bias. I'm going to come in and read it just like it's the first time I ever heard it, which is impossible because you can't turn off your bias, right? You can't turn off your Herman, or you, you can turn off your Herman, you can't turn off that you're going to experience something. But we can choose how we process it, and that's called the hermeneutic. And a hermeneutic would be like if you put on sunglasses and they're rose-colored, all of what you see is going to be rose-colored. And if you put on yellow glasses, all it's going to be yellow. And the hermeneutic we're going to use by reading this verse and processing um, is through Matthew chapter 7. And it's a part where Jesus is rolling with his homies, and he stops and he goes, guys, uh, prophets, they're everywhere, and the prophecies, and you've got to watch out for the bad ones. Get the good ones, leave the bad ones. And they say, obviously, Jesus, how do we find the good ones? He's like, good question. And he says, trees. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Bad trees cannot produce good fruit. Therefore, look for the good fruit, which is very, very important. Because um, if someone walked up to me and said, Chris, I am a prophet, and I have a prophecy for you, I would say, it was a good time, see you later, and I would walk away, right? Because I have some trauma with prophecy. 
What Jesus is saying, if you experience something that's different than you, if you experience something that is um, maybe even foreign to you, he's saying, like, don't cut them off, right? He's saying, you check the fruit. How do you check good fruit? You have to process it. You have to experience it. You have to sit with it. You have to become familiar with it. You have to give it enough time to see if it's good fruit or bad fruit. You have to understand as that person is sharing, looking around and seeing how other people are responding to it, checking your own body and feeling how you're embodying it. You're going to think through how could this lead to either help me or hurt me. Jesus is inviting us to have, like, be in relation to one another, be in relation to different ways of thinking, which is really, really important. Because what a lot of people do is what, what I said about prophecy. This is different. You smell different than me. You look different than me. You worship differently. You vote differently from me. You talk differently. You spend money different, differently from me. And we can automatically say, like, no, thank you. And Jesus is saying, let's test it out. Let's be awake to the idea of what, if something's different, might not be bad. As we read this verse, this is the hermeneutic we're going to use. Could this lead to flourishing? Good fruit, or could this lead to negative fruit? All right, so now we're reading Romans 1, 18 through 32. And if you ever want to have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, you can actually steal. We advocate for stealing from the church. All the Bibles are, um, are in the back. Uh, Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the tr truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sex relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations um, with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so they would, they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful, and invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Yeah, that's a banger. My favorite part in there, as they're talking about murderers and slanderers, right, and they don't listen to their parents. That <laughs> one always throws me off. Um, Nikki, could you please get me a Kleenex? Please, thank you. Sorry. So th this is where we, um, oh, you're Sarah's already on it. 
Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you so much. Oh, that got to me. All right. So, uh, where we start? Uh, the first thing, well, thank you. Now I got two, I got, I got all the Kleenex in the world, yeah. Um, so there's, there's two things. Oh, and before I move on, at the end, we're going to do a Q&A if anyone wants to. My cell number will be up on the screen at the end of the service. And if you're watching uh, online, you can, in the um, comment section, you can put down uh, questions. So there's two things in how to think about this verse. Because was that anyone's first time ever hearing that verse out loud? Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's, it sounds problematic, doesn't it? Like Paul uses like the wrath of God, giving them over to the, to, away from God so they can do wicked and there's natural and unnatural. So we're going to go through two different words. The first one is unnatural and natural. And Paul says that uh, women gave up their natural desires to um, ha- do unnatural things with women. So I don't know if you've ever, like, met um, some lesbians and, like, talked with them. Uh, because anytime I've talked with them and sat down with them, they never seemed like it was really unnatural to be with their partner, Right? They've never said, I don't know how we're going to make this work. It's so foreign to me, but I love you. Oh, it's so unnatural. No, never, right? It's kind. It's calm. It's funny. It's engaging, right? Like, um, it's the most natural thing. The most unnatural thing, I I happen to not be a lesbian, um, but I imagine the most unnatural thing is a time in your life where you had to, like, pretend you like boys, Right? Or you had to pretend like guys so that you would be safe and you would still have belonging and access to capital and access to education, and right? Like, that's the most unnatural thing. In the same way, like a, a, a trans student. It's not like they woke up one day in seventh grade and said, you know what would be a great idea? You know what would be just hilarious? You know what would make my parents so happy? You know what would make me just number one in school if I just decided to be trans, right? You know you don't wake up and decide, right? I, I met a student, um, and she would bring her dress and her shoes. <clears throat> she'd bring her dress and her shoes to school because her dad told her, and my, you're my son in this house, and you will never and put a threat of violence on her. And so at home, she was very unnatural, right, and had to hide. But at school, she could go into the, the bathroom of her choice, and put on her dress and her shoes because there was a couple teacher, teachers that believed her, that celebrated her, and there was a couple students that included her, and that was the most natural space for her to be was at school and then have to do it all over again to go back home, right? Is what Paul talking about, like, again, the hermeneutic of good fruit or bad fruit, if you went up to someone and said, wow, that is so unnatural, that would be what? moronic, right? That would be bad fruit. So what is Paul talking about? We have to remember, in this time, there's two big, um, like, uh, what would you say, influences. First is empire, right? Empire, like, rules with power and violence, right? And then there's patriarchy. So who has access to that power and that violence? Imagine that. It's men, right? And so, of course, Paul is going to say, um, this is kind of unnatural, because what is natural? That women should just center their whole lives around pleasuring men, right? Doesn't it sound great, right? What's natural is that you think about me all the time. What's natural is that you serve me all the time. What's natural, they'd be like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? That's, why would you want to be with her when you could be with me, right? So Paul is speaking out of um, 
of a cultural lens. Because would we say, we, like, would we say if we read Paul in 1 Corinthians and say, hey, um, Nikki, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you should have tried harder. But you can't talk in church, right? Sorry, you got to be quiet, right? You can't wear jewelry and men if you have long hair. Sorry, you, you got to go too, right? We'd say Paul is talking about something that is cultural, right? And we can get over that really quick. In the same way, is Paul talking about uh, women who are in a committed, caring, loving consensual relationship? No, I don't think so at all. Second one, when Paul starts talking about the fellas, he uses this word, I don't know if you caught it, it's like they were inflamed with lust. They were like enraged with lust. And I call it the, the, host, the, the lust, um, lust hulk is what I call it, right? All of a sudden, they just like, oh, I can't control myself, right? That's the, that's the picture that Paul is painting. Uh, my uh, professor of my queer and trans theology class, um, he's a gay man, and when we got to this uh, lust talk, uh, he giggled. He goes, man, every time I teach this class, I get to this point, and I laugh, uh, because like what Paul seems to be talking about, that when my husband like walks by and grabs my hand, that all of a sudden, like Hulk, I get angry, and all of a sudden, I get, rip my clothes off, and I'm a lust talk, and I can't control myself. And he's like, because it's, it's not how it works. Right? We love each other. It's kind. It's, it's fun. It's pleasurable. Right? But when, when you have an idea, before you even read the Bible, read Romans, of you, ha- you think that it is bad or evil or sin, you're going to go back and you're going to have confirmation bias. You're going to read it and say, oh, of course, this is what Paul is talking about, that queer people should not exist. Right? But when you think through it, in the way of what is Paul getting at? Because, again, is he talking about, like, consensual, uh, caring, loving men? No. So what is he getting at, right? This is so good. Um, If you look at all the other things that Paul talks about, um, envy, slander, um, lying, uh, violence, murder, right? Paul's using some very, very intense, um, very what we call evil things. So why is he like hanging out on this thing about uh, men being with men? Because there's this idea called pedestry, right? Pedestry. And again, in the context of empire, in the context of patriarchy, pedestry is when someone who had power, so an upper class person, someone who had a title and happened to be a man, um, they could sexually assault um, someone who was like a teenager, an enslaved person, um, or someone part of a lower class. And they could do it any time they want. And it was very violent. It was not a consensual thing. And why would they do that? So that they could look at everyone else and say, who has the power? Right? Who gets needs met first? Who's number one? And through that sexual violence, you can imagine other people were put in place. Right? And that is dehumanizing. And any time, this is throughout the story of the Bible, any time you dehumanize someone else, that's where hell is, right? I don't need hell to be some external place because every three seconds a woman is sexually assaulted in the United States. That's hell. It's everywhere. So what is Paul getting at? Oh, and you know who got blamed? It was never the men. It was never the abuser. They would blame and shame those, those teenagers, those, those boys, and those men, 
and they'd say things like, uh, it, was, it was looked down upon, of like, why would you ever put yourself in that position? Why would you let that happen to you? And again, in that time, uh, in that Greco-Roman setting, they'd say, that was way too feminine of you. To be good was to be, to be, to be male, to be strong, right? And so they would blame the victims. Like, we don't do that, right? We have evolved so much. Not like when a woman gets sexually assaulted, and we don't say things like, well, you did wear a low, like a low, you know, show a little too much cleavage, right? Man, we don't say things like, you knew it was after 7 p.m., right? Well, you wanted to have two drinks like every other people instead of one? You're such a flirt. You're really just asking for it, right? There's no different that we do today in a patriarchal society than they did then. So why is Paul bringing this up? Because Paul is speaking to that church, and they probably knew like Billy, who lived around the street, that happened to him and ruined his life. You know, Jim, who lives on the other side of the park, happened to him, and he's never been the same. When he goes through this list of very intense things, he's helping the church think about, instead of being nameless, faceless people, there's people who have real-life consequences and how evil it is. When you put it in that context, right, and saying it's not about uh, how we think about sexuality and gender today, Right? But in that sense, it was about dehumanizing people and assaulting other people. All of us would agree that is evil. That is bad. We'd all agree murder, not a fan, right? We, all those things that Paul's talking about, minus not listening to your parents, which I still think is funny, Paul is trying to go to an extreme. If there was like a spectrum of like, like evil, boo, right? And like um, great, like Chubb Lake, yeah, right? He's putting an extreme example on purpose, and he uses the words God's wrath. They give over, um, give, give them to their own desires, because in chapter 2, he says, yes, those people have done those things, and you judge them, even though you've done those very things yourself. Paul is setting the stage, going to an extreme place, to get to the extreme place of the inclusive, wildly inclusive love and mercy of a good and beautiful God. Because we're going to read, like, in several weeks of this idea of justification by faith. And what that means is that we're made right with God, not by anything we've ever done or not done. And here we have the Gentiles, and you have these Jewish people who found the rabbi Jesus compelling. And Paul is saying, yeah, we can coexist. And you can hold your Jewish heritage. You can hold your, uh, um, from where we are in Turkey and your heritage and your culture. Why? Because through the death and life and resurrection of Jesus, we are made right. That the goodness and inclusion has always been there. And faith just means you believe it. You awaken to it. You receive it. So Paul is using these dark, evil things as a way to show the majesty of Christ. And so when you process it and you think through it that way, you can see clearly that's bad fruit. But what is good fruit? Kindness, gentleness, having things consensual, right? Of being, being uh, open to new ideas, that there is a way of being believed and belonging. That's good fruit. And when we do that, now we can tell a better story. Now we can, instead of pretending there's just one truth in the Bible and we have to all get and submit to under that truth, instead we can be in relation with one another. And even though something might be different for you than me, we can look at the fruit of it and say, that's good. Neighborhood church can just be one big fruit party, right? Just one giant fruit 
party, and I love that. I giggled when I, I wrote that out. Because we don't have to hide our fruit, right? We don't have to all pretend all we, we all like apples. So everyone just bring your apples. You're like, well, I kind of like pineapple. I'm like, get that stuff out of here. We're an apple-only church, right? When you can bring your fruit, your good fruit, maybe you're like kind of rotting, starting to turn fruit, or your bad fruit, all of it is welcome because it's part of who you are, right? And then when we're in relation with one another, we can celebrate the good fruit. Why? Because we know maybe a little bit of our stories, right? Like I know that you're in Boston in college. I know that you're a teacher in Renshaw. I know that you're an amazing singer. I know that you are, you've been sober a very long time, and I'm proud of you, right? We can have that story, and we can, like, uh, look at each other's fruit and process it and evolve with it and celebrate it. And even when the bad fruit comes out, there's a space where we can live with one another and say, like, um, I'm having a real hard time with my adult kids, and I, um, I'm, I'm re- angry at them all the time, right? And you might recognize that's as bad fruit. So you come to your friends, you come to the neighborhood, and you process it. Other people help you. They might pray for you. They might encourage you. Then we can have this big old fruit party. And to me, that is exactly what Paul is saying in the book of Romans. And the idea that we have to exclude people for being who they are, I think Paul is not hitting on that in any shape, way, or form. So what that means for us is that the real you is celebrated. And God is a big fan of the real you. So what I'd like to do now is open up for some questions. We will not go long, and if you have to bounce, you can leave at any time you want. But I thought that maybe people might have some questions about this um, verse or about um, Christianity and being inclusive. Oh, and you can text me, too, if you would like to do that. Why did I pick Romans for the series, the book to study? Uh, mainly for this verse, this passage. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's, I've been asked, oh, man, the amount of times people have um, said, how can you be inclusive? How can you be affirming? Read Romans 1, 18. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a smart ass if you don't really know me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> I bet I should have thought about reading Romans 1. So to me, Romans gets misinterpreted. Um, a lot. Funny, it always it usually benefits um, uh, m- middle-aged white men. When you read Romans just for yourself, when Paul is talking about a, like the universal uh, experience of creation, um, we can misinterpret it to always benefit us. And it, Yes? Yeah, uh, yeah. so what the, for those online, Dana shared, like, as she was reading it, for the, was it the first time you've read it in a, in a long time? In a long time of, she questioned, why in the world are we talking about this, right? Which is good, because the Bible is messy, the Bible is violent, the Bible is misogynistic, and so we have to, like, we just don't have to pretend like it doesn't say what it says, but when you can get a little bit um, wider, you can have a better idea of maybe Paul or Christ is uh, speaking with something else. Any other questions or comments? Okay.
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm -mm. Yeah. So those who are listening online, I'll recap quickly. He said at home, uh, Baird at home heard a lot about Romans 1 in this passage, but they kind of ignored uh, chapter 2 because they didn't want chapter 2. And chapter 2, again, is where Paul flips it and says, um, yeah, you judge them even though you do the very same things yourself. And funny, you don't judge yourself. Any other questions or comments? Yes, Ann. Yes, I, I I would. So my mom or Anne said, <laughs> "I'm a professional." Um, Anne said that in the NIV it said the unnatural relations could be that women were having uh, sexual relations with animals. I've never heard that before. Um, I would be very skeptical of of that. But again, if that's what they were doing, then that would be unnatural. But to me, still the bigger picture is a way of thinking is why would women ever want to not be with men and how that's unnatural. Another, another scholar talked about um, that just because there, how do I say this? Is there kids in here? I don't think there is, right? Uh, of, of how you might procreate between a male and a female um, they would say that it's not bad, it's just different. It'd be unnatural because there's no um, genitalia, or not genitalia, there's no um, penis involved. <laughs> right? I've never said that. Um, and that's going to live forever on the internet. You're welcome, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were cheering me on, Sarah. Like, yeah! You said penis online! So, oh, can you say it again? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yes. So uh, for the internet, um, what Sarah said is um, if the Roman church, a a good number, I don't know if it was half, but it was a lot of enslaved people that even um, the idea of having unnatural relations could be women abusing and taking advantage of enslaved people as well. Isn't that great how we can have like, they could circle around one thing of how we're going to celebrate humanity and never dehumanize them and how you think about it can come from different angles. I love that. Any other questions or comments? Yes, Sarah. 
Yes. No, yeah, yes, and yes, and no. Um, what Sarah said was when she teaches education, you go to where the students are. You always start where the people are and hopefully get to a desired result that would be somewhere else. Um, and is Paul doing the same thing? I, I would say yes and yes and yes. I was going to say yes and no. Paul is engaging. Paul is engaging the church of where they are, but it's it, it's it's such a, a diverse group of people, right? So um, they're going to be in many different places. What he's trying to get at is you all can agree that this is evil, bad, and God's wrath is what he uses um, is there, but he's going to end up at a place of even these people are not discluded, excluded from the goodness of God. There's consequences. He's trying to, he's getting to this very universal way of thinking about divine love instead of it only being included in pockets of people. So he goes to like an extreme to tell a better story. Does that make sense? Okay. Any other questions? For those who are online, I didn't open my computer and I will answer any questions you have um, on Facebook. So I'm going to pray. If you have any other questions, um, or you want more resources, um, I pulled some that if you want to get all Bible nerdy like I am, I can um, help you find those things. Um, and don't forget, your favorite meeting, 1145. And if you don't want to stay for the meeting, but you just have questions, you, we can process there as well. So let's pray. So God, I thank you for um, that you're so incredibly good. And I thank you for the, the, the gift of uh, one another. That we don't have to all pretend that we all like or love or value all the same exact things. We can be nuanced and complex and at different spaces and still find a rich belonging to each other and with you. And I thank you that we can, uh, as, uh, as, as people of faith, we can continue to tell better stories and we'll always try when, when we're complex with bad fruit that we're willing to pivot and grow and transform. And so we love you. I pray that you will help us use this idea of, of, um, of what we're learning in Romans of that the belonging has always been there and how we're included. So thank you. And we love you. Amen. All right. Well, thanks, friends. We're going to put some music on. And if you have questions, I'd love to answer them. <laughs>